This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Hold True Tattoo Studios. The new studio is now open in Hamilton, and if you're interested in getting any tattoo work done or discussing any designs, please contact the chief artist, Brian Bell. You can find Hold True Tattoo Studios on Instagram and on Facebook, so if you're at all interested, please check them out. Hi Martin, how are you? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, doing great, doing great. Good to see you. And you, I like your matching t-shirt and curtains. There you go. We're uh, <laughs> teaching on, on Zoom for our, our martial arts classes and having meetings with the parents and stuff. Uh, everyone's been intrigued for the last four months as to what, what's behind the curtains. Uh, <laughs> so, the, the running joke is, is when the when the lockdown finishes eventually, all, all will be revealed. So You'll open it up and there'll be a huge, big martial arts venue behind you. God, I wish. I wish. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we'll, 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 all will be revealed eventually. Uh, I was thinking about the, the last time I'd actually seen you, and it was, uh, it was having a coffee in Starbucks. That's right, I remember that. That was good. Uh, and just how, how times have changed. and. This is where we're at at the moment. Yeah, well, where do you start with this? Um, I've actually, there's a lot of it I've enjoyed yeah. at a personal level. You know, the, the stability, the quietness. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and that feeling that you start to see places busying up again, especially like roads and streets and shopping centres. Yeah. And you think, no, actually, I quite preferred it when it was quieter. Yeah. Um, but of course, we, one of the interesting things for me is we have an economic system that functions in a way that is not compatible with human well-being, except for the monetary side of it. Yeah. But that's a big except, of course. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's just interesting to see that. It was... Uh... It was in. One of the interesting things I've been thinking about is how your our responsibilities were were were, were taken from us in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, this is probably something that hopefully we can we can chat about today. But that there there wasn't the option to to be at all of these uh, appointments, and there wasn't a. Lots of people have said to me that they they just like you're saying they really enjoy. A lot of aspects of this that their, their time isn't always filled with running about and they have to be here and they have to be there and and through this huge mis- misfortune of the the pandemic that uh, that was taken away from them so they, they didn't have a choice and then they, they embraced that uh, that that's kind of how I've, I've felt to be honest that we've been forced into this situation and then to embrace the benefits of it yeah I mean, from my point of view, there's a, a kind of wry irony in all this, in that this is what mindfulness teaches us to be like in normal everyday life, that we should be calm and quiet and effectively getting on with our, our living and noticing the beauty in nature, noticing 
with gratitude and appreciation the things that we have in our home and our busyness in so-called normal life mm-hmm. is such that we stop seeing all that and we, we wear ourselves out and we get frantic and it's, it is really incredibly ironic that it takes a global pandemic to actually get people to appreciate what they have um, and, and including health for sure, for sure. and mortality one of the big things that people were noticing were the birds uh, and, and they, they, they could hear them <laughs> and there wasn't planes going over and as you'd mentioned the roads were, were quiet and obviously we're, we're seeing them getting busier now but uh, lots of people said to me just on Facebook posts or chatting or whatever that they could hear the birds <laughs> and, it was, and, yeah. and they're always there they're always there yeah. but again we were just uh, we we're just in this position where the, the world went the world went quiet and I don't think it's any coincidence that it uh, I know I've kind of jumped right in here. We will take a step back in a minute, but I don't think it's, it's, okay. any, it's any coincidence that the, and again, this is probably going to sound really grand, but the world started to heal itself again. Yeah, I, I think that's, um, that's, that's desperately sad. And, you know, it touches on the economic growth situation that we we just touched on there. That, twisted contradiction of humanity that we need to continue to grow the economy in order to have everybody still having a job in order for people to have enough money to actually live and thrive in society. Meanwhile, that is driving climate change, you know, and, and all the, th- the indicators going in the wrong direction. And again, it just says, you know, and I don't have an answer to this because we don't have an alternative economic system in place that we can substitute for the one we've currently got. But the one we've currently got is feeding us and killing our future and our children's future at the same time. Yeah. And that, that's a horrific dilemma. I do think that the pace of scientific and technological advancement is such that we, we will get away with it but I think there will be an awful lot of carnage in people's lives as a result. I mean, you just look at the comparatively minor thing um, in Falkirk, you know, and, you know, with the flooding just the other day, um, that is one of maybe 30 or 40 highly unusual weather weather results that we've had in the last decade. And the derailment and the death of those three uh, tragic people in the, the train crash um, just yesterday because of Lance, you know, landslip, or whatever it's called, um, and that they put that down to extreme weather. Now, that's happening in a temperate country like Scotland. You know, the, the extremes in, you know, tropical countries and, you know, in northern, the very far north and very far south, Will be more extreme because they are subject to more fluctuations than us. It's uh, just when you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to write news down because that's something that I want to. I want to chat with you later. And the the people who who were involved in the or who lost their lives in the the train derailment, I'd actually uh, not 
I'd not seen that, and I, I was in Asda today, and just walking by the newspapers, and it was on the front of the newspaper. Uh, that was the first time I'd actually heard about it, and sort of took a took a double glance and, and just looked at the headlines uh, as I was I was rushing by. But during this pandemic, I think the news lasted maybe maybe three hours. Eh, three hours. It lasted maybe three weeks. Sorry. Uh, and that included the TV and the radio, and then I actually made a conscious decision to put it off, uh, mm -hmm. and, it, and it hasn't been back on since. Uh, I always used to laugh. <laughs> I, uh, I always used to laugh at my dad, and I think every everybody's kind of like this, where it would be, "Oh, does that all you watch is the news and etc. Cetera, etc." Cetera. And I'm having lots of these uh, moments at the moment that might. Uh, might uh, Thoughts at the moment that, that might be might might be mindful that I'm turning into my dad. <laughs> and <it> was <laughs> I think we all do. I think we all turn into our parents. And uh, Christine and I were talking about this just yesterday that we we don't see it, but we always were. Yeah. To turn into their mother or their father, you know, it's just genetic. Yeah. The yeah, it's you, you always take a wee step back when when it actually does it does hit you and realise, oh yeah. So yeah. The, and with regard to the news, um I manage my relationship with the news. I think that's the only way I can put it. Um there are times when I could go away from it entirely, yeah. but I am aware and mindful of how I'm feeling in response to the news, and obviously I lapse from time to time in moments. But generally speaking, I can see my mood being affected by the news, and I have to reset it yeah. in the middle of the news. Um, and it's a it's a really important skill to learn. Otherwise, you can be dragged down because there are very, there is very rarely good news, um, and. 99.999% of all the other news that you hear, which is bad, are things that you can't do anything about. Yeah. So you might as well not know it as, as know about it and feel impotent about it. I, I remember the last time, uh, the last time we spoke and that, that was, a, that was a, one of the big lessons. I always, I, try, I think again, um, I always drop these cliches, I guess, but I genuinely believe that you should always learn from everybody. And you're one of these people who, who I've got huge ad admiration for and really try and concentrate, uh, concentrate and come, coming away from each of our discussions with a, with a lesson. And a lot of the times it's, it's, it's numerous uh, lessons and one of the things that you were talking about the last time we had coffee together was just what you've said there, just about what you're able to control and and clearly what you can't control, which might be causing you worry or anxiety and it's happening 5,000 miles away. But being someone who likes to think that they are quite sort of strong-minded and confident, etc., it's just at the beginning of the pandemic, the fact that the the fact that it was just so constant was one of the reasons why I had made a conscious decision to say right 
no more. Uh, I think you had you had you had said to me at the time that if it was big enough, you'll hear about it, and mm. and and you don't have to hear about every single small minute, and as you say, piece of bad news because it just builds and builds and builds, and that. What what's your opinion on that? That surely must have had a, or played a, a big negative part in how people are feeling during this. I think generally speaking, the news is not good for people even before the pandemic. And I think it's not good for people because, again, this is classic mindfulness theory and neuroscience and psych psychological theory that we absorb stuff and it becomes part of us. And I think essentially the news for most people is now a kind of, well, I was going to say realistic, but maybe not so realistic, soap opera. Yeah. And, I, and I mean by that, it's an ongoing story with recurring themes, a war here, an explosion there, a tragic death there, somebody famous dying there, somebody famous getting divorced there. You know, and it's, it's kind of, you can think of it like a, a kind of mini EastEnders or casualty. Mm -hmm. And it, and when I say it's so-called so realistic, but of course, without going into the territory of whether any news broadcasters are actually consciously biased, everyone is unconsciously biased. Mm -hmm. And what we get in terms of the news is, of course, by definition, because it's only a half hour program or an hour program, is a selection of the events that have happened in that last day. Yeah. And sometimes it's a prediction about what's going to happen tomorrow because there's going to be an announcement. And then you've got the, the prejudice, maybe based on what they perceive readers or listeners want or viewers want, mm -hmm. which is, we're Britain, therefore we want to hear British news first, then those countries that are closest to us yeah. in terms of British, now what is closest to us, they don't mean geographically next door, like Ireland or France or Malta or Spain or something like that. What they mean is ex-colonies that are white. Yeah. Canada, the United States, Australia, New Zealand, and a kind of not to the head of South Africa because it used to be white controlled. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I'm not exaggerating this, but that's yeah. if you watch the news, that's the big stories. Yeah. 300 people can get killed in a landslide in Chile and be the fifth story. You know, three people dying in a train crash in France would be a higher up story. Now, this is it's racist, but I don't think it's meant to be racist. But what was happening to us, the great Thich Nhat Hanh, um, Vietnamese Buddhist monk who's still alive, close to 90, first time I read about him talking about consumerism, but he wasn't talking about consuming goods and products, he was talking about consuming news and consuming information. Yeah. That stuff goes in you, just in the same way as five cheeseburgers go in you. Yeah. you know? And it does not produce healthy results in the mind. Yeah. And if we are only getting partial news, we don't get a true picture of reality. And you can't get all the news because there's just too much. So you're just as well off getting hardly any news yeah. by very selectively picking it. I want to know what's happening in Hamilton. Because if I go down the street and the road's closed, I can't do something. Or if there's something happened, you know, half a mile away, I can maybe go and help. 
Yeah. But I can't go and help somebody in Aberdeen, sadly. You know, I can't do anything about sort of police brutality in, in, in the States, yeah. except for, say, I support that movement. But that's not actually doing them a, a heap of good, to be honest, because they might be supportive, they might think that's a nice thing, but it's not going to change the system. What's going to change the system is the people there. Yeah. They're going to change it. So all of that, now, just one last kind of point in that um, is take, there are 200 odd countries in the world now. When was the last time you heard any news from Mali? You know, or would you got Mongolia? You know, these are big geographical, one's big geographical. I mean, Mali is one of the great musical centers of the world. And we never get a Mali concert on the news. Yeah. We will get, you know, if Led Zeppelin re, re, you know, sort of had a reunion. <laughs> so we are unintentionally skewed in our way of seeing the whole world. And I think the news is the main driver of that skewed view. Again, probably unintentionally. Yeah, I think it was, I, I watched an interview with uh, Denzel Washington, mm -hmm. the actor, and, and he was talking to the press. And I think news follows life in general now. And what he had said is, it's not important for the press or journalists to be right now. It's important that they're first or mm. they're fast. And uh, we, we, that's just maybe a wee aside off of what we were chatting about there. But in my head, when, when I was listening to him talking, I was thinking that that's just a reflection on absolutely everything. It's, w w there's no, I, I wonder how many news editors, and again, they're feeding the, the appetite of, I suppose, what we want. And I don't know whether we're programmed for that or not, uh, but I don't know how many sit down and say, right, let's make the nation feel nice and positive today. <laughs> so <laughs> nobody, I know for a fact that doesn't happen, but why do we lap up all the bad news then? Why, why do we do that to ourselves? Well, I think that there's, off? I think genetically and in terms of evolution, we are programmed in two ways to do that. The first is we're programmed to watch out for anything that might harm us. And therefore we're always on the lookout with our eyes or ears instinctively. And you see this, you talk to the birds. A bird going down to feed on a, a bird feeder goes to the tall branches and then it looks around, is anything going to kill me from above? Is anything going to kill me from below? No, I'll go down. And it keeps doing that until it's got it. Takes a nut, flies away yeah. to safety. We have the same genes in us about fear and instinct and danger. And so I think the news is a constant feed of our fear addiction almost. You know, yeah. we, we, so there's that side of it, but there's also the other side, and I think this is probably the flip side genetically, which is that we're always seeking opportunities, you know, because if you can find food, then you'll survive. If you can find something that you can steal or pick up, you know, or a newborn where there's fresh water, you would survive in ancient times. So novelty yeah. has an appeal, has a very deep, raw, ancient appeal to us. And... The news gives us novelty. That's what it's called, the news. It's new. Yeah. And, I mean, I had to go off Twitter and LinkedIn for two years, because there, not because there was anything wrong in it. I mean, I was actually writing poetry with 
you know, a really good friend in America on Twitter. So it was, in terms of my work, part of which is poetry, writing poetry, it was wonderful, it was great meeting all these poets as well. But there was too much stuff. Yeah. Same with LinkedIn, too many interesting things, even too many relevant things. A human being's brain can only hold so much in a day, make sense of it, and still go on with a functioning life. And I just pulled out of them. And as you know, I pulled out of Facebook, except for the essential things that I need to do in terms of my work and my direct family. It's, I, I said this, uh, I say this often in my, in my Taekwondo classes that the, the students obviously aren't aware of, of what they're looking out for when I'm talking about this, but if, I, if I'm having a particularly stressful day or a particularly stressful time in life, uh, first world problems, obviously, uh, that's reflected in the classes that I teach and not in a negative sense, but I use our martial arts and our movements and I, I can go to a, a, an adult class, which maybe lasts an hour, and run the students through all the basic techniques, work on breathing, uh, nothing fancy at all. And just by eliminating confusion, uh, confusing things and complicated things, they're, they're still getting their class. They're maybe not aware that I'm actually deliberately doing this to help myself, but just by simplifying things, life just gets simpler, it just gets better, uh, more healthy, I guess, even in just that one hour of, of having that, that mindset. Yeah, if you look at, and I know they're domesticated, so they're not quite the same, but if you look at a cat and a dog, their everyday life, what do they do? They play at times, they go out meandering for a walk, I, and they would do that if a dog wasn't was allowed to get out. Yeah. They eat when they're hungry, and they sleep and they rest. Full stop. Yeah. Cats don't watch the TV. You know, they don't worry about what's going to happen next month. They don't need entertained particularly. They just need loved. Yeah. And that's the same for us. We don't need all this stuff. The, it was reported in the news about three weeks ago, a month ago, that viewing figures have gone up because of lockdown, understandable, but it was something like five and a half to six hours a day. And I think the statistic was 40% of our waking day, we are on TV screen or watching TV on a laptop or something like that. Yeah. So this isn't just us going on to social media. This is us actually watching programs. Yeah, yeah. And obviously probably about half of that maybe is the news because that's there. But that's, I mean, six hours a day, you could get a degree in six hours a day yeah. in three years. Yeah. Then another one, then another one, then another one, then another one. You could be Einstein. Yeah. That. You could also probably volunteer and help a million people in, fact, in three years with yeah. that kind of time, and we just let it slip away. Time as if it, as if time doesn't really matter too much. And back to your point, with mindfulness, you start to see 
what matters and, and what doesn't matter. And you choose simpler things, not because they're simpler, you choose them simpler things because they are more effective at making you a happy person. Yeah. I, I, do you know, I'd never, even, I'd never even actually thought about it that way. And I, I, I was, as you were just about to finish your, 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 your sentence there, I kind of knew that's where you were going. And, and that's, that's not something, it's not something I'd thought about. We, we are generally happier. And again, we can't, we can't speak for everybody, but I think most people I'm aware of are happier when life is simpler. And again, you get people that are completely in their element, buzzing about all the time, but... Uh, yeah. it's, it's interesting that, I mean, because I I've thought that too, and I've met people who say, well, I don't know how you, could, you can be so calm and peaceful, you know, I think that would bore me. And I said, maybe, but maybe you haven't tried being calm and peaceful. You're talking about something in theory, but if you actually tried it, you might think this is awesome. And I think most people would. I think most people, I don't know if they would, I'd say they crave peace of mind, but I think if they found peace of mind, they would be really satisfied by it. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question, and then it might be beneficial for you to, and this is a very specific question, it's just popped into my head, it might be beneficial for you to try and answer it now, or I want to get to a really good, I want to capture a really good explanation of, of what mindfulness is as well. Uh, one, of, one of the things that I continually beat myself up for, and I, I, when I was a teenager and probably into, do you know, it, it, it coincides exactly with the, the, the introduction of social media and uh, smartphones, et cetera, et cetera. And probably just at that moment, as I'm talking to you, I've tied those two together. Uh, but when I was a teenager and in my early 20s, one of my main passions, and I still think it is, was, was reading. And, and could was just always with a book, reading, reading, reading. And that was novels, but it was also biographies and factual uh, books, anything at all. And now I beat myself up because, uh, and it's a running joke in my house now as well, but just how bad I am at this, but I'll have a book and, uh, and I've got it here. The mobile phone uh, draws my attention all the time. The simple answer would be, turn off the mobile phone. Uh, I haven't got myself to do that yet. I know that was something else that we'd spoke about the last time we were together. But I'll maybe get two or three pages in, and I'm even, I'm enjoying the book. I, I know that it's interesting me, but then I swerve off again to having this phone in my hand and texting or Facebook or Instagram or, or whatever. Will we get back to that, or do you want to repop at that just now? In terms of just that alone, just the the, the phone thing and the well, probably because I think I, I don't think I'm alone. I, I mean, you, you no, never no, see millions it. of people. Everybody's walking down the street like this now. Yeah, but it's so maybe even just to be specific on the mobile phone as a yeah. as a problem. I think, I think the first thing to say is that. Part of it's politeness, I have to say. Yeah. When you get a phone call 
normally, I mean, when we had our family business, we had a, a rule, phone goes, answer it within two rings because somebody's waiting for you, you know, it's, and it's not fair to keep someone waiting. So part of that's polite. If you get an email, and unless your phone's on silent, it dings, you look at it because you think maybe I should be responding to these things. And of course, now there's so many, there's Messenger, FaceTime, all the different ones. So that's changed the territory, if you like. In the old days, which before my time, before telephones, you either got a letter or you got a telegram, which I think was incredibly expensive. But, you know, and a letter was a big thing and people opened the letters with an urgency from another person that I write to my son and my daughter. I've been doing it since uh, New Year. Um, and so before lockdown, and I write to them every other week, each of them, once a, one week, one the other week, the other. And I do it in handwriting because I want them to see that I am communicating with them and making an effort to do so. Yeah. Um, my son's in Japan, sort of doing research. My daughter's just in Glasgow though. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's, a, I think, a healthy communication. I think the problem is it becomes habitual. So I've got mine here yeah. as well. But I put my phone in silent all the time and I just look at it periodically to see if someone's you know, checked with me. Mm -hmm. I do it too often as well, um, but not probably as often as most people. Me. At night time, <laughs> me. at night time, it's down in here, it's downstairs. And I'm in bed up there. Yeah. So my phone is not in the same room as me through my sleep because I've reckoned and it's very evidence-based to back it up that sleep's probably the most important thing other than breathe a human being does. I mean, because you could never evolve to sleep a third of your life if it wasn't incredibly important. Yeah. Because yeah. that's a period of danger if you were out in nature. You know, it's it's a huge waste of one's time that you could be, you know, in evolutionary terms, finding food, yeah. you know. So it, it, on that basis, then nothing, absolutely nothing except for a fire, you know, should disturb your sleep if you can avoid it. Yeah. Um, and certainly not telephones. It's so... Uh... It's so negative to just the, the relationships that, that we have. And, and I guess what, what I've tried to do through the podcast or since I started the podcast was be, try and be honest and try and give examples of my own feelings, maybe a bit strong or a wee bit dramatic, but my own feelings and, 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 and hope take, take the fall, I guess, so that other people that are, that are listening can maybe relate to that and say, do you know, I'm actually like that as well. But ju just as you say about the watching the TV for so many hours, that not, not just the actual physical tasks, as far as enjoying a book is lost to me because of the time I spend on the mobile phone, but relationships as well. And again, I think this is where it becomes even more of a problem where you're replying to some, when people, te people text me all the time or they'll message me and it can be, I wouldn't even like to put a number on how many messages per day. I, I battle all the time with, does this message need replied to right now when my 
wife who has been working all day walks in, my first instinct there should be to stand up for the chair or the couch and go and give my wife a kiss or a cuddle and say, hi, great to see you, etc., etc. But I wouldn't do that if I was halfway through a text to, okay, a friend, but, but not my wife or, or, or even a stranger. Uh, or updating a Facebook post or looking at a picture on, on Instagram. And it seems, and listen, if it's just me, and I don't think it is just me, but if it is me, I'll happily admit to that because it's something that I, I'm very aware of, but I don't think it is just me. I think it's a, a worldwide problem that our personal relationships are, are suffering because of our relationship with an electrical device. Yeah, I think... I guess there's two aspects to that I would touch on. First is, thing, these things happen. We have changes because of not just technological changes, but other societal changes. And there's always a lag between them becoming popular and us working out how to use them best, for the best. And, you know, I took the example of television, you know, um, just a few moments ago, and it's been around for like 60 years in terms of being popular. Mm -hmm. And we still haven't managed to use television well yep. in our lives. Um, so mobile phones, and that's not to say we won't, um, because things, you, we do change and we do adapt. And I mean, I, I got my first mobile phone in their family business, probably about 20 years ago-ish. Okay. And it was bought for all the directors so that if we were in a car crash or if we broke down, we could actually communicate with someone. And that was all it was for. So it was an emergency phone. And that's why, you know, car phone warehouse is still called car phone warehouse. You know, yeah. although nobody thinks of it as a car. In fact, it's illegal to use in a car now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think from that point of view, yeah, there, there is always a lag effect. But with, like with the dangers of TV, there's a danger that it becomes a permanent problem rather than a, an, as well as an asset. And we can be in control of our own lives. Um, I mean, I keep thinking of somebody like Charles Dickens, you know. He was not a great hero of mine or anything, but Charles Dickens wrote about 30 or 40 classic novels, yeah. all long novels, not wee short ones like I write, you know. <laughs> um, and he didn't have a mobile phone. Yeah. He didn't have, I mean, a, another example that's related to this, Lawrence of Arabia, T.E. Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. He wrote The Seven Pillars of Wisdom, um, a great book about his exploits, you know, in, in the Middle East um, during the First World War. And apparently, he was on a bus or a train, leaving his publishers, got off it, and forgot to pick up the manuscript. <laughs> this is like 1919. Yep, yep. He had to rewrite the whole thing again. It's 700 odd pages, if I remember rightly. And Someone has that. Someone has yeah. that. Right, well, he couldn't have just go and pick up the memory stick and plug it in, you know, and do it. So... But these people, the point is that these people were unbelievably 
successful, effective and productive. And if they can do that then with so little in the way of assistance, then we should have the wits about us to be able to say, I'll take calls or messages from this time to this time, and I'm sorry, unless it's an absolute emergency, in which case you probably know my phone number anyway. Yeah. The real phone and phone me, when you pick up somebody, you'd get in touch, just like I say with the news, if it's big enough, you'll find out about it. Yeah. Um, so I would say you need to then instill the discipline yourself and say, right, between six and nine o'clock at night, that's in the cupboard. Yeah. You know, and then go twitch, twitch, but at least you'll go twitch, twitch and realise it's not there. Yeah. But that's a, so that's a self-discipline and self-management time in terms of managing your day. Yeah, spot on. I would, the, as I say, when, I come out, when, when we have discussions, I always come away with, uh, I always come away, I think you generally make people happy, Martin, which is... Oh, thank a, you. Which is a... Uh, People always say that I don't smile enough in, in, in photographs and stuff. I, I'm, I'm, I'm always sort of very, very serious looking. Uh, but I always leave the, the very rare times when I manage into your class, which is very rare, just, just due to different things. Or again, the last time when we had that coffee, I always leave... Oops. I always... The phone. I'll just hang that up just now. We always leave uh, happier. And... Mm. You always have these sort of knowledge bombs, as I would call them. And the one you said the last time was, uh, if the soldiers are marching up your street, then you know. And I laughed at the time when you said this, but again, due, due to your family history, uh, mm. that, 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 that hit me quite, quite hard because we, we, we yeah, it's, I think we're just it's so immersed in this, what we're immersed in now, uh, I'm, I, think, I, I find it difficult to get out of it. And, and I think others will listen to this and, and, and be the same, I think. I th like you, I mean, most of the lessons I've learned in life have not been from a textbook. It's been from living life and making mistakes and living life and screwing up and living life and finding that actually that's not satisfactory, that's not enjoyable, that's not pleasant, that's not kind, and about myself. Mm. And, but at least, you know, to my benefit or my, in my favour is I have learned from these things that I've not done right. And, and quite often, as you'll know from the, the times you've been in my class, um, Quite often when I'm talking about mindfulness, it's about what I wasn't able to do right or I didn't get that right, but I tried this and then eventually it works. Yeah. And I think those are good ways to, to share examples of how to live a good life is to say what a bad way was <laughs> and that you can rectify it. No, for sure. Okay. Uh, mindfulness is one of these things that I think... I think it's misunderstood. I think that it's, I think it's one of these things that people, if they actually realized, and I'm, you'll, you'll, you'll experience during the, the rest of the podcast, I do this Billy Conley thing, which is a, a Scottish reference where I, I go all the way round about and yeah. as Billy Conley says, hopefully land near the spot. Uh, so I might not be exactly. Yeah, I know that feeling. 
But okay, mindfulness. It's one of these things that I think people or more people would would truly benefit from if they knew exactly what it was and what the benefits were. And I think I think like everything, all the stuff I've just talked about, there's so much out there and, and people are maybe getting their, their experiences of mindfulness from a one minute Instagram video or a or whatever it is, just but it's I think no not as many people do know or what it's actually about. So first sort of actual question or point is tell us exactly what mindfulness actually is and maybe not what we think that it is. Well, thank you for that, because it's a great question. And you're, I agree with you. Most folk haven't a clue, really, what it's about. And it's not their fault. It's the way it's presented in, again, the media, without criticising the media. But you're right, the media, what, what's the first story? What's the fastest story? And then what's the, the one that's going to grab people's attention? Yeah. And mindfulness is actually a deep subject, and there is no space for depth in the media. Yeah, yeah. Um, so mindfulness is it's actually a way of living and the way of living is by developing as best you can your ability to notice and in particular it's the ability to notice what's going on up there in your head moment by moment by moment Hence the definition of mindfulness is paying attention on purpose in the present moment. And the reason that is important, and the reason it's a way of being as opposed to just a wee technique, is that this thing up there pretty often is responsible for making you feel horrible and making the people you love feel horrible because you felt horrible and you've spouted it out to the folk around you. Yeah. Now, if you can see I perceive what you're thinking, what you're feeling, how you're about to react, and you're able to not suppress it because that in itself has got psychological sort of bounce backs, but notice it and then just gently take your attention away from it. And the classic example is to the breath because it's always handy, it's there, it's nearby, and it's pleasant and it's quite calming. You know, breathing in, it's nice and clear. Breathing out is nice and quiet and peaceful, so it quietens the mind. So you can get from anger and about to shout at somebody to noticing that, slipping away from it, take the breath, the anger subsides, and a row doesn't ensue. So something more constructive ensues in its place because then you can bring a wiser version of your mind to the table. So if you are able to do that all the time, which nobody can, because this is a really volatile mind. But even if you can do it half the time, then half the negative experiences in your life will not arise. Now, that's an astonishing thing. Yeah. Because apparently we have three negative thoughts or reactions to every positive one called negativity bias in psychology. And say you have there for 60 experiences, that's, that's almost 75 experiences, then yeah. you've got sort of 50 negatives to 25, anyway, whatever the numbers are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
the M. If you can get rid of them, then you are experiencing enjoyment in life, pleasure, and quite rightly a sense that I handled that well, you know. Somebody was swearing at me and I stayed calm. So self-confidence, self-pride, in, in a good sense of the word, you can be getting that all day, every day. Now what happens cumulatively when that happens is that grows inside you. Those qualities, because you're practicing them, grow. So it becomes a way of being that you notice and you make things better. You notice and you make things better. So that your entire life is this seizing moment by moment opportunity to make something more of what would otherwise just be either routine, neglected, ignored, taken for granted, or worse, down, depressed, anxious, concerned, hateful, prejudiced, whatever. So I take this sip of water and I notice what it is to take a sip of water. I notice that I've got the strength in my arm and people might say, so does everybody, but no, everybody doesn't. There are people with Parkinson's, severe Parkinson's, who couldn't do that. There are people who don't have an arm, but I've got an arm. Yeah. And mindfulness says, notice what goes on in the present moment. And the more you notice, the more you start to appreciate what you've got, so you feel happier, more content, less greedy, less grasping. The cumulative effects are astonishing. And this is an entirely different way of being, because a normal way of being is just doing what that happens to churn out yeah. in any given moment. And people are in jail because of that. Yeah. You know? And people are divorced because of that. And people don't speak to their neighbours because of that. Why? Just because in an instant somebody says something, you say something back, boom, and the relationship breaks. One of the things that, one of the things where, where I, and this is quite funny because I'm particularly good in, and again, maybe you'll tell me it's just, it's to do with continual practice, but I, I'm good with, again, and, and again, through any of the, all of the episodes that we've done so far, as I say, I, I'm trying to run an honest sort of thread through this. I, I will try and be a mindful person. And then whether it be Tracy, my wife, or Amir, my wee boy, and times when you, you snap at people, and, and it's usually the people who you love most, and, and you snap at them, and then you you beat yourself up a wee bit because that wasn't very mindful. <laughs> but yeah. but it's that that I that doesn't mean that mindfulness has failed. It 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 just and again you'll correct me if I'm wrong. It, it, it just means I need to practice more. Is one of the things that it means. Uh, but it's not it's not something that that's just achieved by. I was thinking about you coming on today, and I was thinking about. Um, Let's say I've got a really bad phobia of, of snakes and uh, I could go and, and I've never even inquired about this, but uh, to be hypnotized, for example, and hypnosis will, will, when I wake up miraculously, and I don't even know if that's the actual case, but there's a good chance from what I've heard that the fear would be gone or mostly gone. Mindfulness is a, is a different practice, it's a continuous practice to, 
to get better. Now, Tracy would say that I have a lot of work to do uh, as far as that part. It's the privilege of a spouse. Well, that's it, that's it. But uh, it's not something that just happens overnight, I would imagine. No, it's a lifelong thing. That's why I say it's a way of being. Um, and the reason it's a life... I've said this before, you might have heard me say this before. If there was a pill that did what mindfulness does for you, I would take it once a day and have a happy, intelligent mind. Yeah. Full stop. I don't, I'm not mindful because I love being mindful. I'm mindful because it gives me changes to the main tool in my head, in my life, my brain, changes that benefit me and the people around me. Not in a selfish way, but actually in a kind, compassionate, altruistic way. You become happier, you become a more decent person, and you become a more sharp, aware person, a more intelligent person. So I mean, one thing just to touch on is you say to yourself, you don't do it and then you beat yourself up. Well, beating yourself up is just another stupid negative thing that the brain has produced. Yeah. What you should do if you're not mindful is drop it and then get try to be mindful again. It's very difficult to be mindful. It's dead easy in a moment. So if you swore at me just now, I'd feel anger or a bit bizarre, you know, confused, yeah. rising. And then I'd just say, it doesn't matter, let it go. It's not a big issue. And I'd be able to let it go. Breathe in, breathe out and say, that was interesting. Say, are you okay? You know, and then you're making a, a constructive, caring inquiry. You know, are you all right? Um, now, that's easy in a moment if you only have to do it one moment. Yeah. Yeah. But apparently there are 64,000 moments in a day. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got a brain that is programmed by your genes and all your life experiences. So it's like a 99% going that way in your gene, in your, in your brain. And you're trying to say, no, let's push it back the way. Yeah. So therefore you have to be working at it all the time. By working, I don't mean it's tiring. Mm -hmm. or it's a big effort but you have to be diligent you have to be on it all the time just in the same way as you know if you're babysitting you know you you know and the baby the child's awake you can be relaxed you can be doing other things but you have to keep an eye on that child yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and deal with it as and when because the brain doesn't always create negative stuff it's only when it does create negative stuff, you need to be aware that that's not what you want to think and you can change it. Yeah. So it's, it's a lifelong thing. I've never met anyone in my life who has got it down to perfection. And that includes the two people who are probably most famous for mindfulness, which is the Dalai Lama yeah. and Thich Nhat Hanh, who I mentioned earlier. Now, they are both Buddhist monks. They've been born, both doing this since primary school kind of age, and they're both now in their 80s. So they've probably had about 70-odd years of doing this. And the Dalai Lama, I remember reading a book um, and feeling happy about, which I shouldn't have done, said, once said, um, if I get angry, what do I do? Well, all I can do is apologise. And I thought, he gets angry. <laughs> oh, your beauty, you know. Yeah, so yeah, that, yeah, that means yeah. it's okay for me to lapse. Yeah. Back on, Thich Nhat Hanh said the same. He grew up in Vietnam, um, did amazing things through, through the Vietnam War, trying to save and salvage people in, in, in villages, etc. But he said in the 1980s in a book um, that the, the, 
suffering and the pain of the Vietnam War have not yet healed in him. So he still gets angry and, and sad and grieving about it. Now, this is a person who's been working for 70 years, training his brain not to be like that. Yeah. So we have to be realistic. I think this is where the, the science is really helpful. Is what are, we don't know the limits to which mindfulness can help us manage our mind. We just know it can help us and that that will vary from individual to individual because every individual is genetically unique and every individual's life experiences are unique. Yeah. So we are where we are and we just work at it and we get the benefits. It's not just slogging. It's not like, you know, I used to play football a lot and um, you know, I love training. Mm -hmm. I love training in its own right, but I loved it more for making me fast and sharp yeah. during a game. But can you imagine if you were doing, going to the gym and you were just doing the weights and there was no benefit to doing the weights. You were just doing the weights, feeling sweaty, hot, sore, wake up in the morning, achy, and you didn't get the benefit of being fit. Yeah, yeah. That's, mindfulness is not something that you do and it feels bad, or it feels rubbish or you're spending a lot of time on with no benefit. The benefits are immense. I've had six people I love die on me in the last eight years and mindfulness has helped me be happy despite that all the way through it including the days that the people died and that's what it changes it changes how you respond to existence yeah. and you feel okay about being about the fact of death and that's a big thing no fear of death take me any time that that that's something that do you know any, anybody who's listening to the podcast uh I would suggest that your classes are like the 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 radio. Now, bear with me here. What happens is on your blackboard. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, <laughs> people get. Do you ever get into the car and or or listening to any music? It might not be the radio, just music in general. And a song comes on that is the lyrics are speaking to you. Do you know what mm. I that that's yeah, yeah. that that's 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 the point I was trying to make. You always seem to, and it can't possibly be. It just is what it is, I guess. But for me, I will listen to you speak, thinking, is he speaking to me tonight? Why is he talking mm -hmm. about? Why is he talking about that subject? Because that's exactly the subject that that I've been thinking about, or that's been causing me some deep thinking or some anxiety or whatever it is that, the, that they're thinking at the moment. So that might not happen to anyone else. It definitely happens, happens to me. Uh, I, I, I get quite a lot of re responses, emails and things like that, saying that, you know, things I've written or things I've said, people said, my God, that I really needed that. I was thinking, feeling exactly that and it came just at the right time. I can only put it down to, no, two things. One is that mindfulness helps you see what matters in life. It really does. It, it helps you think more clearly that that stuff matters and that stuff doesn't. And when you gain that insight, well, everybody's got that insight, but it's not really at the forefront of their mind. It's usually in the background. You know, love, family, health, those kind of things. Yep, yep. Um, and but mindfulness puts it right there in front of you all the time. And when that's the case, then you talk about it and you mention it and you work 
at making sure to the best of your fallible abilities that you try and make sure that you take care of your health, you try and make sure you love your family and that they know it and they see it, and you try and make sure that every, all the basics in life are, are right. Um, now, when you, I've been doing this for 22 years, so you know a third of my existence, um, more than a third of my existence, not quite 66 yet, um, but when you have worked like that in your own mind daily for such a long time, then that's what is in the front of your, your mind. So when I'm asked a question or when I speak, I'm going to talk about health and death and negative things like worry and anger and your prejudices. Um, and we're all, although we're all unique, we're all the same at the same time. Everybody's got these traits that bug them and get in the way of them being happy. And everybody's got these prejudices that stir up hatred and frustration and irritation in them and everybody's got longings for love and peace and happiness and all those things and if it's in the forefront of my mind and I happen to mention it then a lot of folk are going to say yeah me too well yeah. that's a surprise but it's not a surprise you know. one, one of the last times I, uh, I actually sought out to, to, to make the time to attend your class I one of my major problems, and again, happy enough to disclose this, and I'm absolutely certain that other people will feel the same thing, and it was, uh, and again, you've spoken about this this publicly, so I don't think you'll mind me bringing this up, but yeah. uh, your sister was, was very ill, uh, very ill, and I came to that class wanting to think about during your session, wanting to think about a, a problem I had. Now, the problem I had and the problem I still have is the inability, and this is where mindfulness can, I believe, can help me if I continue with it and can help others. I have a real inability to, to operate whilst I'm waiting for news. Now, I'm talking about, for example, having uh, getting blood tests back from a, a GP surgery. So if I know that I got blood taken on a Monday and the, and again, this is obviously well before lockdown when uh, you were phoning doctors and things, but the receptionist would say, right, yep, Kareem, the results will be back probably Thursday or Friday. I'm the guy who phones on Wednesday, right? So I, I phone on Wednesday just to make sure. Uh, and I, I, I find that my... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I've kind of, I've lost them. They're not as happy or as relaxing or they're bad days. And then Friday comes and you phone the doctor and the doctor says, everything's absolutely perfect. And two things happen. The first thing is there's a relief. Oh, that's great. That result's fine. And then I think, I really wish I hadn't lost Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday and you're looking at a whole working week there of worry and not in, and again it's things annoy you and you you're, you're, you're snappy with people and you, you you don't enjoy listening to music that week because you're anxious and you don't enjoy watching your favorite tv show or doing whatever it is that you enjoy and I remember coming to the class 
and again, maybe I was looking for you to, to, maybe I was looking for things for you to talk about, and it was when your sister was 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 very very ill, and I remember you talking about leaving her bedside at the hospital to actually come in and teach a class, and the rain was hitting off the car. I remember this. I remember you speaking about this almost word for word, and how you how you had. Maybe enjoyment was probably the word you had. You had enjoyed mm -hmm. the, the the patter of the rain on the car, and and knowing how seriously ill your sister was, I was sitting there thinking, my God, Kareem, like you're you're maybe waiting for a blood test to see what your B12 level is, and and you've lost a week of of not enjoying life as much as you could have done, yet Martin has been able to enjoy something so simple as rain hitting off his car, never mind having the whereabouts to come and teach us in your class. That must be a problem for people, that they, they, they're not mindful enough to enjoy one day at a time, or even one moment or one hour at a time. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I remember that now after you, you say it, um, my sister, was dying for, slowly dying over a seven month period um, and bedridden with cancer for the rest, you know, that last period in her life. And I would visit her every day. So every Tuesday when we were doing the class, I'd be coming more or less straight from hers. Um, and, and the beauty with mindfulness is that you can, stick to the present moment. You can be with your sister and love her and give her support and your presence, which was the most important thing, and then go. And it's not like you abandon her mentally. It's not like you, you know, ignore her or take it for granted afterwards. But you know in your head and in your heart that the best thing for everyone and everything concerned is for you to move your mind to the present moment, in the present moment, and that day, presumably when I left her house, it was raining, feel the rain in your face, you know, and feel grateful that I have the health that she didn't have. And I remember, I get well enough these things, hold on, um, I remember when she and my brother died um, six months apart, um, and always remember in my head when I'm being mindful in those moments was I can feel the rain in my face. Yeah. I've got this. And then I made a decision to kind of take a wee mini vow to myself that I would live my life more fully for them because they no longer had it, able the ability to do that. And it was, that's just a wee trick in the mind to change grief into love, you know, and and it works, you know, and the beauty is that as you develop your mindfulness skills and practice, you find these little techniques that you invent in your own head for yourself. So I think the only thing I would say, you know, then reverting to, to your scenario is you just keep working at it and you don't, you will, but you should try never to get annoyed at yourself for not doing it. Just get back on with the next moment. Beating yourself up or regretting things or ruminating about it after the event 
is just these beautiful pearls of precious things called moments yeah. just getting wasted further and you know having lost so many people who I love so much I realize that every moment is precious you know there will come a time when I'm dead and I won't have moments with my wife my son my daughter my brothers my sisters you child things like this you know that opportunity will be zilch and mindfulness is boom yeah. get it through that thick skull get it through that volatile crazy mind of yours that this matters this thing called life matters and it only exists in the present moment and therefore the present moment is like a miracle or a gift that you've got make the most of it and if that means you're squelching through mud and a walk like i was doing this morning at half six in the morning and it's been raining overnight so what enjoy the squelch for god's sake you know look at the trees look at the clouds what 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 actual um what actual advice can you give then i'll give i'll give you another example someone is and again, to, to move away from maybe the, the sort of medical worries, it, it, could, it could be anything. Someone mm -hmm. is, okay, here's one that's maybe a wee bit more specific again then. Somebody knows that, knows that something unpleasant or, or even something bad is going to happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Not as in they can think it or they can feel it, they actually know they... Like an eviction. Right. Somebody, you know? right, perfect, right, so anything at all, that's happening, they're, they're going to be evicted at nine o'clock tomorrow morning, they know that's happening, how, and maybe the answer is, well, they shouldn't, and they should worry about it, or they should, maybe it's not, I don't know, but how can that person enjoy today, what's the practices, that the actual, what should people be doing uh, because I, I, I'll give you an example. I know for a fact that many people who I've spoken to were, what it, my wee boy goes back, we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, it'll school. go live on Saturday. Uh, my wee boy starts school tomorrow, which is Friday. And I, I know a lot of parents are, they know their children are going to school tomorrow, but they're worried. Now, what, what advice can you give someone to enjoy today? Just because they're worried about tomorrow, how can we enjoy today? No matter how bad that news or event is, is tomorrow. Well, I think there's a few things there. Firstly, rationally, everybody knows that worry doesn't help. But that doesn't help you not worry. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's just put that one to bed, right? So saying don't worry doesn't work. The reason it doesn't work is because the brain produces worry. Nobody chooses to worry. Nobody wants to worry. And yet it's our own brain that produces worry. So the logical conclusion to that is that we are not in control of our own brain. Then you have to go back to the origin of mindfulness. What does mindfulness do? it helps you get in charge of your own brain. The problem with the scenario you've given just now is it's a wee bit late in the day not to worry. Right, okay, okay. So, so but you can take your mind somewhere else temporarily and the worry will come back, but that's okay. 
because you've taken at least you've taken a wee bit out of it. You can take the kids out to play so that everybody's minds off it. Yeah. You can try and read a book and the worry comes back and maybe you've got 10 minutes reading. That's all right. You can go and cook a meal. So you can take your mind somewhere else. Now, this isn't suppressing the worry, but it's just understanding that the worry will gobble you up if you don't take your mind somewhere else. So the more often you can take your mind somewhere else, the less of the worry is in your day, the day before you go, okay? Now, if you knew with 10 years notice yeah. that, that this day would come yeah. after a pandemic in 2020 and you're talking about in 2010, then you would have 10 years of working on mindfulness so that that wouldn't worry you or the worry would arise and you'd be able to skillfully let it go more permanently. Now, people might say, well, you can't go back in time. No, but you can prepare for the future. Now, for want of a better phrase, are we allowed to swear? Is this an adult thing? Oh, yeah, you can swear, you can say. Okay, well, nothing. Shit happens. Yeah. Right, you know, one of the great truths in life. Yeah. Shit happens. So we know that in 2030, something dreadful will happen. Yeah. If yeah. we're still alive and you're younger bees, but let's assume we're all still alive. 2030, we know that's going to, so it's going to be a rotten day at least sometime. So we can start working from a 2020 perspective on mindfulness. So that come 2030, it's all right. Okay, don't worry about it. And we'll be able to do it. Maybe with practice, we can do that by 2025. Yeah. Maybe even with practice, not bad at it in 2022 or 2023. Yeah. The point is, mindfulness has a cumulative effect. So you might be able to handle it a wee bit now, but if you keep working on it, all these future negatives, which are bound to happen because life brings ups and downs, you'll get increasingly better at dealing with them because your mind will be more under your management rather than the genes that are programming you currently. Yeah. So tomorrow, difficult. Next year, easier. Five years' time, maybe easy. Ten years' time, maybe not a problem at all. A couple, a couple of things. Again, this will this will show uh, the explanation will show better on the the YouTube video. Uh, but again, for them to listening to the podcast, the way I I always think it stuck with me the explanation of the the our feelings. And again, those could be we we generally focus on on negative feelings. So j just to maybe aid my mm -hmm. explanation of this, I, I'll stick with that. So. The negative feeling starts at, at the bottom of your neck, for example, at, at the back. Mm -hmm. And this is the way I've, I've explained this to others. So again, you, you, hopefully you'll be able to be a wee bit more succinct than I would and explain it. So this negative feeling starts just at the top of the shoulders and starts creeping up the back, the back of the neck and you're getting worried. What, okay, I know I've got this thing coming up, so I'm worried and I'm worried and I'm worried. Now, when it starts coming over towards the sort of brow of your head, it's, it's engulfed you at that moment. If you're mindful, you can maybe catch it about here. Uh, and, and you don't have this opportunity for it to... It sneaks up on you, even though you're aware that it's, yep. that it's happening. So I'm being evicted from my flat tomorrow. 
I'm worrying about it, I'm worrying about it. It's getting to here, halfway up my head. Right, have a seat, Kareem, Joe Bloggs, Martin, whoever it is. Okay, breathe, practice your mindfulness techniques, and hopefully, because just because you can control, you're aware that it's happening, that feeling can subside a little. Yep. Uh, again, it's getting back to having arguments or, or snapping at people where you think, well, this person's annoying me, this person's annoying me. Now, if it gets to the front of your head and it's the feeling engulfs you, that's when you say, my God, why are you saying this or doing this, blah, blah, leave me alone, whatever it is that you're saying. But if you can be mindful of the feeling as it starts to creep over you, ultimately over and into your brain and then out through your mouth, and that's when the damage gets done. Uh, is that right? I'm, I'm explaining Well, that. yeah, yeah. More or less, one wee thing I would just slightly change is the damage is done as soon as it arises. Right, okay. Because when you have, say, let's talk about worry. Right. Say you worry about something. As soon as that worry begins, if you take your analogy, sort of the nape of the neck, yep. that has then triggered the brain to say, that's what you do in future. So it's really essentially saying, as soon as you have a, an emotion, positive or negative, that reinforces and strengthens the brain's readiness to do that again. So you're reinforcing a habit, and put in this case a negative one. So as soon as it arises, it's already strengthening it. The more it goes up the neck and round, the more it's strengthening it yeah. for the future. So the quicker you can nip it in the bud, then the less it's strengthened. You're almost like weakening it by that stage. Now, there are various speeds of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like anger or an automatic rage reaction. That can be there at noon and up there and out the mouth at one second past noon. Yeah. So it can be incredibly fast. Yeah. So one of the beauties of mindfulness is over time you can see it very quickly and just and you've kind of paused it and you let it simmer away but you're absolutely right with the so take you I mean you talk about worry so right now are you worried not not right at this moment i'm, I'm, I'm okay right time, but right where have you been worried this year okay yeah of course right sorry pardon me oh, yes yeah. so sometime between the last time you were worried and now the worry disappeared now, it can only have disappeared in one of two ways. Either you were mindful and let it go, or probably more likely, given the chances, it just went over time. Yeah. People are worrying all the time, and then they don't notice the worry disappearing. Yeah. So these things we call moods, emotions, feelings, reactions, are just being produced by the brain in one book I read, it's, they talked about it almost like just saliva coming out of your mouth and you swallow it. Well, these emotions come out and then they die away. And we don't even notice them dying away. And yet they've eaten us up mm -hmm. in the interim period. So if we can notice it and just not let it become the shouting out the mouth or the negative, then and let it just gently fade away without us getting caught up in it. Yeah then we haven't strengthened it because it seems to be the combination of it arising and us becoming inflamed by it that most adds fuel to that fire. Yeah. If we can continually do that, then we weaken its 
strength. It's almost like the fuel in the tank is less and less and less. And so sometimes you can get, like, you can be bitter about something that happened 20 years ago, but with mindfulness, every time it pops up, you just gently let it go. Pops up, let it go. I'm not going to indulge that. I'm not going to engage with it. Let it go. Eventually, it stops popping up. So you've killed it with gentleness. Mm -hmm. And in its place, you've put, I'm going to be happier without dwelling on my past. Yeah. That makes you happier. So you're doing a win-win. You're letting go of a negative permanently, and you're putting in a positive permanently. One, I'm, 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 I'm conscious, uh, I, I would sit and discuss this with you all day. Uh, I'm conscious not, not to keep you too long. But you decide on time. I'm I'm okay. Yeah, just one of the things that I want to I want to discuss this and see where mindfulness fits in. And again, I will use uh, I'll use myself and or Tracy and I uh, as as a husband and wife sort of team who are completely different. And I'll tell you how we're different. And it's to do with our, our just the way we think. And I'm. Did you get Tracy in and tell her to tell us how you're different? I, yeah, I'm sure she would say a few different things as well. Uh, I'm the I'm the deeper thinker, and definitely more of the 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 warrior. Uh, she will have a sore gum, for example, uh, which she had three or four days ago, and and it went away. And it went away because, and, and she's like this with most things. It's just, that's just one of these things. It's very happy-go-lucky type thing. And maybe doesn't uh, hold on to problems or maybe doesn't gather up problems because she just doesn't give it mind space or head space. Uh, whereas my first question would be, why have I got a sore gum? What's going on there, et cetera, et cetera. And then that leads you down a million rabbit holes. Uh, there, there, that can't just be us, us two as people. There, there must be wider groups in the world who are deep thinkers and people who are just happy-go-lucky and, and don't. I mean, you, you could say to me, you could give me any subject and <laughs> it's... I would happily have to analyze this and have to think about it and what does it mean and et cetera, et cetera. Whereas Tracy will just say that it just it is what it is and that, that, that's fine. Where does mindfulness sit in with those two groups of people? Because I'm more, I'm more interested in, in, in studying or practicing it and learning about it because, because it helps me. But even though she's very, happy-go-lucky as I've said I still think for people in her group or her the people with her mentality it can be beneficial so as the expert like yourself where does it sit with both those types of people okay again maybe two separate responses to that I think the first I'll take the second part first which is I think that mindfulness will help anyone not because it's some medical cure but it's just about the person's ability to notice what's going on inside their own head. I don't know anyone who wouldn't benefit from having a clearer view of what's going on inside their own head because nobody produces only good things in their head. So the better we are at doing that, 
the better we are at resolving issues, not letting issues arise. So that's that's to me is fairly straightforward. Don't know a person on the planet who wouldn't be better off with being a bit more mindful and training that up. Yeah. With regard to the two types that you guys are, I would say that it's not just even that you're different parts on a spectrum. So there'll be people who are more of a worrier and more of a reflector than you, and there'll be people who are even happier, go luckier, you know, than, than your wife. Yeah. Um, so I, I just call that the luck of the draw. Yeah. Some people are born with lucky genes, and some people are born with unlucky genes in terms of personality traits, born yeah. warriors, born happy, whatever. However, it's not just your genes. So you've got all your life experiences. So somebody can be born with lucky genes, but have a horrific life. Yeah. And that then makes them a warrior, makes them angry, whatever. Some people can be born with a natural warrior, but find something like mindfulness or else have a really good upbringing. And they then, that mitigates it to a large extent. So you become less. So it's this combination. And of course, your life experiences continue all through life. Yeah. So where you are in that spectrum can shift. You know, that's what something like post-traumatic stress disorder might take somebody from happy-go-lucky to yeah. way yeah. the other end. Yeah. Yeah. But every life experience changes as a wee bit. So, and that's just one spectrum that we've talked about from happy-go-lucky to a warrior. You can do that from a person who's able to love openly to a person who can't find it difficult to express their emotions. Yeah. So, you know, you know the psychometric testing, things like Myers-Briggs and stuff like that, that, that they do. Um, there's hundreds of different traits in a human being and we've all got unique ones and we're all somewhere on various spectrums. So I think that, going back to the second point again then, with regard to that is, regardless of where you are and whatever spectrum we're talking about, you can move to a better space by being mindful because it's only a process of noticing what's going on and letting go of negatives and noticing, you know, you talked earlier about, you know, it's not only negative emotions we have and we haven't really touched much on the positive ones, but I'm looking out the window just now and I'm seeing wee green grass lawn, we've got a lovely kind of zen type garden, it's pretty, it makes me feel happy, you know, see the trees, there's a wind blowing, the sky is kind of grey but there's a bit of white because the sun's kind of behind it and I can just think, that's beautiful glad to be alive. Now what, I'm going to say, I was going to say an ordinary person, what a person without as much mindfulness would do is say, that's a nice day. And then two seconds later, they're back busying themselves about their worries for the, the afternoon. Yeah. With a good experience in the mind, you also notice it when you're mindful. You say, look at that and say, I'm just going to take an extra 10 seconds and look at the beauty of that. My God, isn't life amazing? Isn't it absolutely beautiful? So you're doing two things that multiply your experience of a good thing. The sun's just literally come out, come, come out just now and it's beautiful. <laughs> shine on me. You know? um, so if you extend it time-wise, so instead of two seconds thinking that's nice and make it 22 seconds, that's more gone in your life experiences that is happy and appreciative and grateful but you can also deliberately magnify your feeling about it. So right now, we, you know, we spoke about my sister Maria and my brother David dying. I can think, oh, Maria would have loved a day like this and it won't make me sad, it'll make me happy. So I'm deliberately 
bringing that true fact into my life, even as I speak to you, experiencing something out the window, and it has already made me richer and happier as a human being. And that's in a real-time example of using a positive emotion to get the most out of it. And that's what I mean by the preciousness of a moment. I will not let that moment go by not seeing what else I can do with it. I, I, just as you were talking there, the, this picture of pretty much two buckets came into my mind. About It's just about the, the good, the happy bucket and the, the sad bucket. Yeah. Or the positive and the negative, or however you want to you want to split it, and just yeah. fill in the happy bucket as much as you possibly can. Yeah, this is the analogy I, I, I use, which is we the, the luck of the draw bit is we can't know and we can't take responsibility for what size of bucket and how much is in the bad bucket and the good bucket. And that's already started by the moment we're conceived. Yeah. Unlucky or lucky with the genes. Um, that, if you think of the scales, you know, those two buckets and the scales, the average human being, three to one to be negative. Some people, ten to one at birth. Yeah. Some people, three to one positive, you know. Just yeah. bloody lucky people, bloody unlucky people. Yeah. And then all the life experiences, by the time we're about 18 or 20, when we start to be thinking about making decisions for ourselves increasingly, the bucket is already full of millions of experiences, yeah. none of which we were really in control of. So, but the beauty is that now we, we know about that. Now we can see if that next moment can go in the good bucket. And that example with my thinking about my sister and my brother and the sunshine and making the most of it, that's quite a lot in a bucket because that was really deep, that was really personal, that was really human for me going in there. So it's not like every moment is the same size, going in a good or a bad bucket. Mm -hmm. If you get terrible news, that could be a big weighty thing going in a bad bucket. Yeah. If you get really good news, a big weighty thing going in the good bucket. So what we're trying to do, all else being equal, is with the bad negative experiences we're having, is to try and make that going in the bad bucket as small as possible. And the good stuff, we're trying to make it as big as possible so that, you know, that's a wee thing going in the bad bucket. Yeah, yeah. That's a very... Fine goes the phone. That's a big lot going in the good bucket. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's as simple as that. I'll pick up my phone in case I forget what it is, but I won't look at it. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, right, what, one, one last thing then before, before we finish up. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we'll, after we, we, we cover this, hopefully, we'll, we'll finish up with the recording of the podcast and... We'll stay on because I know you want to uh, catch up with the, the other project that you've got coming up, yeah. uh, which is super exciting as well. Uh, if you were, and again, the, the podcast is slowly building, so I'm really happy that the, the audience that it's getting now is, is bigger than just uh, my sort of friends and students, etc. So fingers crossed that that carries on. Good uh, I, I can share it with people I know. So. Fan, fantastic. Uh, if someone was listening to this, for the or listening to this and, and, and hearing about mindfulness for the very first time, or even have a little bit of knowledge about it or experience, what what even just if they were to dedicate two minutes or even sixty seconds, even a, even a minute a day, where would someone start? What's the first 
practice, the first bit of advice you would say, right, go away and start on this, and then we can build on top of that. But we'll right. I think before that, it's helpful to have a wee bit of background knowledge, and maybe I've covered more than enough of that here, but if you imagine it's completely new to someone, I'd say go onto YouTube and Google mindfulness, and if, and if you put in um, mindfulness and Mark Williams, then you'll get to the emeritus professor at Oxford University, head of psychology, and he has done a lot of the most famous research on mindfulness, especially with regard to depression and anxiety. And he's a brilliant communicator, very s simple language, layman's terms, and he's got two or three minute interviews. You mentioned two or three minutes. What is mindfulness? Or what's the benefit of mindfulness? What's the science behind mindfulness? And those little clips will make you think, whoa, if the head of Oxford University's psychology department and mindfulness, Oxford's got a centre for mindfulness, is doing that, then that's a good start. And then, I mean, I, I'm doing two Facebook Live mindfulness sessions a day just now. Um, so if you just Google me and find that, then you can start practising. Alternatively, again, back on YouTube, Mark Williams and a whole heap of other really, really renowned neuroscientists and psychologists have got their own free sessions on their you know, recorded ones. Mm -hmm. um, and you could just join in. So you slowly pick it up. If then you're interested, you could just follow my stuff on Facebook and you, you pick it up. Yeah. So just get it started. Yeah, no, 100%, 100%. Uh, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's finish up the, the podcast by just uh, telling us where people can, I know you've mentioned Facebook, but can you just be a wee bit more specific on the title yeah. of your pages and things? Uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, you know, you know, I mean, Google my name, Martin Stepik. So Martin's easy, Stepik, S-T-E-P-E-K. And I'm the only one. You know, there's a guy in the Czech Republic, but apparently that's only me and him. <laughs> uh, so you'll find me, and my email addresses are everywhere, so it's, it's open. Just get in touch. Um, if you're interested directly in the, the mindfulness stuff, so there's two sites that we've got on Facebook, um, both prefixed by my name. So it's Martin Stepix, Make Scotland Mindful, and Martin Stepix, 10 for Zen. Okay. Um, and if you just search for them, you'll find them straight away. And there are already over 200 live uh, recorded um, mindfulness sessions there. You can just doodle with them and see, see yeah. how it works for you. Fantastic, Martin. Okay, thank you. Uh, My pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me, Karim. No, listen, it's, uh, this one was a... The, 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 the thing is, because this is me recording in my house, uh, on the laptop, over Zoom, it's, it, it's, I've, I've been really lucky to, to choose the people that I wanted to speak to. So it's, thank you. This has been an absolute dream for me. It really has. Uh, and a really enjoyable conversation. So thank you. Same for me too. Cheers. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you.